When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only christopher atkins <laughs> what is going on we were just talking i know you're in connecticut where i'm originally from how are you today me i'm doing great it's a beautiful day here today cold but it's a beautiful day well, let me tell you, it's freezing in LA as well. So there Is you go. It really? Yeah, it's really, it's been raining for about two and a half weeks straight nonstop here. And yeah, it's cold. Well that's, well, that's good. You guys use a lot of water out there. So it's, it's, it's good. You know, the only thing that we haven't had is we haven't had any good snow. I'm not a fan of this cold, wet, when it's cold and rainy, like it gets in your bones. It's just, uh, but when it's snow, it's beautiful. It's white. It's quiet. It's soft. It's pretty, you know, it's just it's just so much different i agree i always say if it's going to be cold just let it snow right i know i know we haven't had it yet well listen like when i sat down and i knew i was going to talk with you i mean i i understand the consciousness of the fact that blue lagoon was in 1980 but then when i really start to think about it i'm like oh my god 43 years ago like does that feel like 43 years to you or does it just feel like two days ago well, you know, it, that's a very good question. And I and I guess the real answer to that is that sometimes I literally, because I just live my life, that it seems like, was that real? Was it was that a dream? Did it really happen? Did it not really happen? But of course it did. And and it was interesting because I did an interview with Brooke not long ago. And uh and we it was all about Blue Lagoon and, and bringing back all of those memories. It was the thing about Blue Lagoon that was different than any other movie I ever did was Blue Lagoon was a life experience. Every other movie was making a movie, but this was literally a life experience. It was more than just making a movie. And I think for everybody that was involved in that movie. How was it a life experience? Well, first of all, we shot on a, a deserted island and I was there for four and a half months. There was nothing. There was no nothing. The crew actually found water on the island. So the guy who owned the island, I mean, the movie really did a lot for this guy. I mean, it put him on the map. You can go there now. It's, it's Turtle Island in Fiji and you can go there now and, and uh, it's a 
five-star resort there, but uh, he really capitalized on it. But it was literally living in a tent. It was camping out. You, that, no movie's ever been made like that, and no movie will probably ever be made like that. But that's how we that's how we filmed this movie. So every day was living with uh, the Fijians, the neighboring islands, and, and the natives there that would come over and, and work on the crew. And they were warring villages, and they came together to work on this movie. And and they taught us things like how to weave palm leaves and how to climb coconut trees, how to open a coconut with a stick and all kinds of spearing fish, all kinds of really amazing. I mean, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, that kind of a thing is, was was really magical. But um, it, it, being 18 years old, being taken away out of New York, where I was born and raised in Rye, New York, and sent to a deserted island in Fiji when I had no idea how to act. I had no idea what was going on. I just said, okay, yeah, I'll do this. And then running around naked, that's a whole nother story in itself and how that all came to be and what this movie was all about. Uh, it was a huge life experience. I mean, it was just a m major life experience. And the thing about it is, is I think because of the way it was shot, the Australians, they, it was all Australian crew, and it was a very young industry at the time. I think Blue Lagoon was the first big major film that an Australian crew came together to work on, and they were beyond amazing. I mean, beyond amazing, but they were young, they were fun, um, and everybody, because we lived together on this island, no distractions, no nothing, we all became this family unit. Um, and it was, it, it was just really magical. Was it true? I mean, like, I know you had no acting experience at that time. Like you didn't even want to be an actor. Like this just kind of came to you. Yeah. I was one of 4,000 kids who auditioned for the movie. And I just thought, oh, this will be kind of fun. I'll audition for this movie. And then I can tell all my friends when it comes out, oh yeah, I read those lines. I auditioned for that movie. Yeah. How cool is it to see it on the screen now? I never thought in a million years that I would be cast for the picture. And as a matter of fact, I actually said no because I didn't know what I wanted to play baseball. I was, I was playing softball for the Ford modeling agency. I had to catch a train and get in and, and I don't want, I, you know, I don't want to miss the game, man. You know? And, and so I was like, oh, I'll talk to you guys later when they were calling me up saying I had the part, but uh, I had a long conversation with my mom about it. Cause I was about to go off to college and the whole thing. And, and I, because it was Randall Kleiser who was directing it, who who directed the movie Grease, uh, he, he had a reputation. He was a good director. And and even then, I didn't know anything. I, I don't know what a script is. I don't know a good director from a bad director. You know, hey, that was a good movie, Grease. But I, I, I don't know. So I had to really rely on uh, other people who were in the industry to, to talk about it. And we just finally uh, said, well, you know, if, what a what a fun experience. You don't ever have to do it again if you don't want to and that was probably the best advice a mom could ever give you did you for, well except for what it changed my whole life so <laughs> i'm well, that, stuck that, that was my next question like <laughs> did you once you said yes like did you feel like this could truly change my life or was it like cool i'm gonna go shoot a movie oh it was totally cool i'm gonna shoot a movie that was it i i just had I, see, I, I, I'm one of these people that's, uh, that always says he with the most stories wins, because if you've got stories, you've had adventure. And if you've had adventure, you've lived the life, right? Not the toys. It's the stories, because then you've been part of it. So this, to me, was a, 
yeah, it was a cool story. I could I I I could tell everybody. Yeah, I went and made a movie. I just never knew it was going to be on a deserted island, naked, naked, and running around. <laughs> and you know, were you you know because you were like you almost had to live under a rock at that time. I mean, like Brooke Shields was coming off like Pretty Baby and like Wanda Nevada. Like, were you? nervous like were you aware like okay like you have no experience you don't even know if you're going to say yes and you're acting opposite someone who had like a pretty you know great career at that point i think the best the best thing that ever happened to me was not having any experience whatsoever because i didn't care i get more nervous now about being on a set and stepping into uh an acting role than i ever did shooting that movie and i think that was probably the best thing because i got to learn as i went along i didn't i didn't care i didn't know i i, I was just doing what i thought you know they told me go here walk over here do this do that okay yeah and say these lines all right fine you know not a problem but now it's even worse so no that then it was it was more of the adventure what like do you remember like meeting bro shields for the first time like what was your first impressions well, it, it was very interesting because I I never saw Pretty Baby. I knew about all of that. And the director had put a picture up over my... I, I lived on a boat for the first two weeks of shooting the picture. And then I moved to a tent on the island. Everybody lived in tents. I mean, there was... Except for Brooke, they built a, a beret, a, a, a brick building with a thatch roof for the Nestor Alamandros and, and Brooke. But everybody else lived intense i mean that's how we lived was on the platform in a tent for four and a half months um so i lived on a boat for two weeks before and he put a picture of her over my bunk so i could fall in love with her before she came but when she came it was it was just all very sweet and and innocent and and uh it was nice and she's a beautiful girl she's a very sweet girl a very very sweet girl and and it was just really nice. And she was the closest to my age on the island. So it was nice in that in that way, too. I listened to you on Brooke's podcast. So I heard you guys kind of reminisce and go down memory lane. Like, do you have like just a high and a low from that experience? Like just something that sticks out as like the high or the low or both? Well, like I said, it was a life experience. So it was more of a high than anything else. I mean, the... the a, I guess the low was after where I never hit that peak again uh, in that as far as filmmaking goes. Um, but at the same time, I'm very grateful. I mean, people come to L.A. and they they come there to be actors and to be movie stars and, and they want it so bad. And I'm very grateful. I was lucky to have grabbed that brass ring on the very first picture I ever did. And and it thrust me into um, literally there were places where I would go to do uh, promotions for Columbia Pictures where I had my hair pulled and my shirt ripped. It was literally like the Beatles back then. It, it was insane. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I'll admit it, as important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority, and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water, and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all-in-one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock 
brought cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. Nobody in my family is tech savvy, so it seems weird for me to get them a tech-adjacent gift. But Aura's digital frame is actually the perfect gift. Why? Because it's tech, but it's so easy to use. I've already purchased Aura frames for everyone in my family, and I know when I send them to them, they're not going to know what to do. But I'm going to explain how easy it is. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. They can share photos or videos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame. There's no memory card required. The photos look like real prints. Aura frames have meticulously calibrated high-resolution displays, so you can't even tell the difference. Aura detects faces and other key details at a photo so nothing gets left out. And how cool is this? At night, when you turn out the lights, your Aura frame also turns off to save energy. From now through Black Friday and Cyber Monday, visit AuraFrames.com and get $40 off their best-selling Carver matte frame with the code VELVET. This is their best deal of the year, so get yours now. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com with a promo code VELVET. Terms and conditions apply. I love this time of year. It's Thanksgiving. The holidays have officially arrived and the celebrating has started. I love my martinis. You guys know this. I had three of them last night. And guess what? I feel great today because I have used my Waterboy. Waterboy is a hydration powder scientifically formulated to cut your hangover time in half. It really works. You know how hungover I should be with three martinis, but I feel great. I've tried other hydration packs on the market, but nothing worked. That is until I found Waterboy. With zero zero sugar, and over three times the electrolytes of Liquid V, your hangover will stand no chance. Unlike their competitors, Waterboy has added specific ingredients beyond hydration to help with all the other things which come from drinking. Nausea, that anxiety feeling, ugh, that's the worst, and fatigue. I think I'm going to drink three more martinis tonight. Hundreds of thousands of people already trust Waterboy as their hangover cure. It's time to stop dealing with anxiety alone. For a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off discount count with our link at waterboy.com forward slash velvet. That's 15% off at waterboy.com forward slash velvet. It's time to ho-ho hydrate this holiday season. Are you guys familiar with Uncommon Goods? Now that we head into the holidays, you have to be. Uncommon Goods is a website that has an eclectic selection of, well, Uncommon Goods. You know when you have something and people say, where'd you get that? I have already started my holiday shopping. Yes, I like to start early. And some things that I've gotten people are, 12 days of hot sauce. I got another friend who loves scotch, scotch infused toothpicks. And I got another friend, a hometown map glass set. You can actually put your friend's hometown map on a glass set. The list goes on and on and on. The more I'm on Uncommon Goods, the more I find the coolest stuff and I can't stop shopping. These gifts are so unique that no one else will have them. I also love that by shopping at Uncommon Goods, I'm supporting artists and small independent businesses. And they're made in small batches, so it's not like anyone else is going to have these gifts. To get 15% 
20% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash velvet. That's uncommongoods.com slash velvet for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Tis the season, and I've been hearing from so many of you that what you're thankful for this year is honey love. Why? Because there's nothing worse than suffering from an uncomfortable bra or shapewear. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra and shapewear game. There's no reason you should still be dealing with uncomfortable underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat in your bras and undergarments. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the needs for underwire without sacrificing lift. Plus, they're made with fabric that's so soft, you won't want to take it off. So many of you write to me and say that you sleep in your Honey Love bra because you forget you even have a bra on. Their best-selling crossover bra is so comfortable, it's bound to be your new go-to. All the ladies in my life are getting Honey Love bras and shapewear this holiday season. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save up to 50% off site-wide at honeylove.com slash velvet this month only. Inventory is limited and the sale ends soon, so don't miss their best deals of the year. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good thanks to Honey Love. Right. There was the lows were were probably well. I you know what I I guess the low the low was never reaching that peak again for me in my career. But the high was I kind of ducked out to be a dad, and that's a whole another segment I'm sure. But um, on the island itself, making the movie, um, I, I, you know I love camping out. I love scuba diving. I I love the water. Uh, I met the coolest people. I don't know. It's hard to say that there were any real lows. I, I guess there's homesickness were the lows, but Columbia Pictures did send my mom and my brother out for a little bit, which was really nice. So that's a long time to be away when you're not used to it. I was only 18. So I'd always been at home and here all of a sudden, and I got that proverbial letter from mom about the first baby because I'm the oldest, the first baby leaving the nest and all of that. And you know, it was, it was very, yeah, it was sweet. It was beautiful. I have more to say about the highs and lows of the business. And that's a concept I love talking about. So I have more to say about that. Right. What was it like? You mentioned the nudity, you know, like your first movie, like you guys, right. Like you're climbing trees and spearing fish. And like, what was just like the nudity, like, of just like, here you are, like, that's a whole different part of something. Not everyone's first movie has all that nudity. No. Um, I didn't know the difference at the time, but it, uh, the director did ask me, what, it, what do you think about being naked? And I said, well, I take a shower. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Now, I'll tell you that the, what really helped a lot was the Australians, because in Australia back at that time in the 80s, 70s and 80s, it was all topless speeches. And, and it was they were very America's very conservative and in Australia and Europe. They're they're a lot more open. So they were very open to that. And. And listen, if you if you don't make it a big deal, it's not a big deal. It's just everybody's got one or two or whatever. You know, everybody's everybody's got them, and and it's not that big a deal. And that's more what I ended up learning about. I mean, even to this day, you'll never find me on a regular beach. Oh, I'm, I'm the one on the nude beach, man. You can't keep me to get my keep me my clothes on these days after that movie. But that's what it was about. It really encompassed freedom. It really encompassed the innocence. It really stripped away all of 
social, societal, uh, finger point, whatever drama that you put, it took all of that away. And here we were just a bunch of people making this film as a family together on this island. And, and, and it made it worthwhile. Now, of course, there were the conversations of the obvious, which I'm going to say, because nobody really asks about it, but I know they talk about it, is what happens if you get aroused in the middle of shooting or whatever else. I mean, it's a, it's a natural question. We're running around naked. And the director talked to me about that too, which was which was very normal. It was very interesting. I thought it was a little weird. and all, I mean, come on, man, you know, whatever. But when you're doing it, he really cared. He really cared about us and he really cared about the innocence. He really cared about it, it not being weird and not being um, uh, uh, anything where it was objectified or anything like that. He really wanted everybody to be comfortable and make it natural. And that's what he was going for. And I think that's what what comes out of the film was was that because of the way he treated it. What advice did he give you if you got aroused? And like, was that something you weren't even thinking of? And then now that you're having a conversation, like, man, you just added a whole nother layer to this that I didn't even think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's, it sticks in your mind, I guess, but he just said it's normal. He said, if something like that, it's a normal reaction. It's, it's okay. I mean, he really made everything okay. It never happened. Um, just because there's a whole crew around and the whole thing and it's, it's action. Okay. Cut. And, and, and it was, so it wasn't anything that I ended up having to worry about, but, um, it was, it was a very interesting and serious conversation. And he really wanted to make sure that everybody understood. And it was especially for me, um, to make it, uh, that there's, there's nothing that's, going to be weird we want this to be beautiful and innocent i mean it was it was really nice the way he approached everything do you so i mean now you say you're always on the nude beach do you have your do you have your love of nude beaches do you attribute that to the blue lagoon oh absolutely absolutely are you kidding oh yeah absolutely well, like you said, like, you know, especially what you just said, like the director tried to make it, you know, there was nothing like strange or it wasn't that type of environment. But then like the movie comes out, you know, like, were you shocked at like kind of the reaction? Look, it made a ton of money. It was a huge hit and it's a huge iconic film. But like, were you shocked at that? Like, OK, wait, it's like two cousins and they're shipwrecked. And, you know, you were 18 and Brooke was 14. And, you know, they did have that narrative of like this movie has these undertones. Uh, yeah, it never, never crossed my mind. I Were mean, you I, shocked at like the fact that that was like the narrative in the public when it came out? Like, this isn't the movie we actually made. Oh, for sure. Because they were picketing the movie saying it was kitty porn and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we we're all scratching our head going, well, wait a second. And now they play it on TV. So it, 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 times have changed a lot. Why don't you think it would ever get made today? I heard you say that on Brooks podcast, too. Well, we were joking about it because there are little kids running naked down a beach. We speared a fish in the movie and everybody's going to be up in arms about spearing a fish that we ended up eating later or used for fertilizer or whatever, you know. But uh, and, and, and the, the, Brooke was saying how she was dunking a little bit. I mean, just and like I said before, how it was made, you you just can't make 
that movie. Um, we lived in tents for four and a half months, which water was in the beginning shipped in in barges. Wow. So uh, until they found the water on the island and other things. So it, it was really unique. Did the whole like wanting you to fall in love with Brooke Shield, the picture over your, was that real? Like they really were like, this would just oh, for help. Sure. Them. Wow. Oh, for sure. No, the director actually wanted it because it looks, it will come off. It, it, this was really, really vital to him to have that innocence. And see, one of the things that I think worked for me was I, in my high school, I had three knee operations. I always wanted to be in sports. That was my goal. And, and then I had all these knee operations and it really screwed me up socially. And with my uh, high school, I went to three different high schools because of it. Um, it really deflated me. I didn't get a chance even really dating that much because I was on crutches and casts for a, a lot of that junior uh, uh sophomore junior senior years of my uh no excuse me freshman sophomore junior year of of high school so it really um capped a lot of things for me uh, so i i had that coming into the film also was that uh, this was a love story right. falling in love you know getting those feelings and and doing that so and she was like i said a, a beautiful girl and but she was sweet. She was innocent. She was young. And it wasn't like uh, some two horny teenagers were going to go at it. On I mean, it was really sweet. We had a very, very, very strong, great friendship on that island for a long time. What you said you learned a lot from this movie. It was your like, what did you learn from Brooke? And what did you learn from this movie? Just as far as, you know, you had no experience and you left with like one of the most, you know, unique experiences in making a movie of your whole career. Well, I learned a lot about filmmaking, obviously, because I never saw it before. I had no idea what what filmmaking was all about, what even a camera looked like. Uh, so I learned all of that, how to, how to make a film, because I, I was there doing it. But Brooke also, uh, uh, she mentioned something about, um, we talked and she would talk to me about the business and things. And she was very, super intelligent and far beyond her years. Um, and, and she would explain things to me for instance i remember she was talking about i think a, a role she really really wanted national velvet and i think tatum o'neill got it or something and she was saying how much that affected her and all that and she was sharing her stories with me about the business going forward after this movie now of course back then nobody knew what the movie was going to do or not i at this point in time i was still going to go to college and i was just making a movie this was another adventure story in my life you know why, I mean, it, why do you think this movie was such a huge success and is so nostalgic for people and still resonates all these years later? Like, what is it about this movie? Well, first of all, the nudity made a big splash. That was a big deal back then. And of course, it it still is. If you look at if you look at all of the the titles after Brooks interview with me, it was uh, people who wrote stories of uh, actors of the blue lagoon talk about their nudity. You know, I mean, they it's so you'll read their article, you know, so that's, that's always something, which I understand. I totally get. Um, but I think what it, what it really brought was that, that beauty, that innocence, the, it, it's a Romeo Juliet. It's, it, it was the fact that it had all those life experiences, those 
innocent life experiences that we all go through um, and people identified with that, but it was delivered on a platform of extreme. I mean, it, it, the extreme beauty. Nestor Alamandros is a, just a, a, a magician with the camera and the way he captured the colors and the, 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 the moments that with his camera that it enhanced our moments together were just tremendous. So people emotionally would be able to get involved just because of the atmosphere that we were put in with those moments. I think everybody dreams about being on a deserted island with somebody that they could they could be with um, and, and have those moments. So it's that fantasy, but at the same time, it's that Romeo Juliet that I think really captures a, a, a lot of people. And it, it was just one of those beautiful films that I think uh, people still have that fantasy about uh, today. So when they look at, it, I still get fans, young fans writing me saying, I love this movie or my favorite actor or all of this. And I'm like, I'm old. <laughs> but they don't care. That movie still resonates with a lot of people. I think today they've actually put it as a uh, a classic film in the uh, Library of Congress, I believe. You know, I love staying in all day and doing this podcast. You know, actually, Americans spend 90% of their time indoors. And around the holidays, it can seem like even more. That's all great. But listen, according to the EPA, indoor air can be as much as 100 times more polluted than outdoor air. That's why I have an air doctor. With a high-quality air purifier, all you have to do is breathe, which is why you, too, need air doctor. Air doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor uses a filter that's been independently tested to capture 99.9% .9 of tested bacteria and viruses. It's time to get peace of mind with Air Doctor. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. For Black Friday, Air Doctor is offering a limited-time exclusive deal to my podcast listeners. With promo code VELVET23, you can save up to $350 off Pure fires, 20% off filters, and get a free three-year extended warranty on any purifiers in your cart. Don't miss out on this amazing offer and head to airdoctorpro.com and shop using the code VELVET23. Yesterday, I had one of those days in New York where I was on the go all day. So I had a dress for like a morning brunch, afternoon coffee, then a movie, then out for drinks at night, which is not easy to do, but I looked cute. It was a great day until it started to pour. I did not have an umbrella because I was not expecting rain. I ended up getting a a little wet, still showed up for dinner cute, but my feet and socks were dry as can be. That's because I had on my Vessies. I wore my Vessies because it's hard to find a pair of shoes that would look cute for a morning brunch, afternoon coffee, and a night out in New York City. Vessies do, but the best thing, they're waterproof. So rain, mud, slush, and snow, your feet and socks stay completely dry. They're comfortable, they're lightweight, and they're attractive and stylish. Now the next time I go out for one of my all-day events, I think I'm going to wear Vessies because at least I know if the weather changes, my feet will stay dry. You too can own a pair. Just head to Vessi.com slash velvet and get 15% off your first order. That's right. 15% off your first order at Vessi.com slash velvet.
Welcome to the country's most exclusive boarding school, Bishop Gray, where rules mean nothing and money means everything. Academy is a new scripted podcast that follows Ava Richards, played by HBO Industries' Myhala Harold, a brilliant scholarship student who has to quickly adapt to her newfound E or BE in world. Her ambitions take hold and her values bend in hopes of becoming the first scholarship student to make the list. Bishop Gray's all-coveted academic top 10 curated by the headmaster himself. Becoming a chosen one means she's on the path to big things. After realizing there's no way she'll make the list on her own, she accepts an invitation to an underground society that promises her one of the 10 coveted spots. If she bends to their will for her own success, she could have everything she's ever dreamed of. But at what cost? Ava must navigate a game of high stakes chess and risk throwing it all away for love. If she makes the right moves, she could be set for life. But one misstep could cost her everything. Academy takes you into the world of a cutthroat private school where power, money, and sex collide in a game of life and death. Prime members, you can binge all 10 episodes of Academy on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. I think so. Yeah. Were you like, do you watch it if it's on TV and you're flipping around? Like, do you watch it if you, if it's not on TV, do you revisit it once a year? Like, what's your relationship now? Or are you just like, I mean, listen, if you ask me to listen back to this podcast, I'm going to take a pass. I don't like, I don't like listening to myself, but I mean, like, where are you in terms of that? Well, I mean, I've had a lot of people, this movie and the pirate movie, they want to watch it with me. And I get it. I, I, I get it. But when I do see it, I do remember a lot of things that I might have forgotten or brings back a lot of great memories making that picture. Yeah. What was it like after? Like you mentioned, like, you know, I mean, and did you immediately after decide that you weren't going to go to college? I mean, I know you were going to pursue a sports career. Like when you say, you know, you were walking down the street and it was like the Beatles and people were ripping. Like, was it truly like here I was, you know, anonymous. This movie came out and it was like complete pandemonium. Night and day. It was exactly, that's what happened. But what, what, there was a very weird time in between. And that was when I got done with the picture, I had deferred college because by the time we finished the movie, uh, college had started. So I came home and all my friends were all off at college. I was there in Rye, New York, just sort of by myself and many, many times thought, what, what just happened to me? What, what did I do? Can I tell anybody? And then what do you say? Oh, I went off and I made this movie. Oh, that's cool. But do you know what I mean? There was, there was just this fuzzy, weird time. Nothing went on. They were editing, they were doing, and I was in California and I was in New York at home and nobody was there. Nobody was around and I had nothing to do uh, so it was, and, and what I found was, and it, this happens on pretty much a lot of movies is people don't understand how hard it really is to make a movie. You're, you're working 12 hours uh, every single day, early in the morning, late at night, all night long, whatever the, the shooting is and the emotional, um, energy that, that you constantly put into it by the time a picture is done. Uh, it, it, it's almost as though everything drains and I just get sick. And I got, I got sick after the movie. And, and I, and I realize now it's because you put, you put yourself up on a, this 
energy level, this adrenaline level. And then when it's over, oh, it drops. And so you're, you're open to everything that you've been staving off in a way. And, uh, and, and so that happened and it was just this weird time. And then all of a sudden I started getting the phone calls from Columbia pictures and, and then from the director about looping and all of these things, I had no idea what they were and all that. And then things started rolling. And then I started getting, uh, the Columbia pictures publicity department was, uh, coaching me on, what things to be able to say, what things not to be able to say and, and all of that. And then when the movie started getting tested or whatever else, they made a deal with me to send me on a world tour. And that's when everything went ballistic. Did you ever regret it in that period? Like what you, like you say, your home, like your friends are now, Hey, you know, I'm in my, you know, second day of classes. I have a girlfriend. I have a lot of new friends. Like you're hearing about your friends living this college life. You say your home, it didn't blow up yet. Cause that's that in between. Like, did you say like, right. Like I'm looking around, there's no one here. Why did I do this? Why aren't I in college? Oh, Which for is- sure. Absolutely. I did. Absolutely. Cause one of the things is I still wanted to play baseball. I, I, my knees were back. I worked really hard and getting my, my body back into shape. I mean, it was years later with my son um, at an event where I ran into a, a guy who's now one of the Dodger hitting coaches and, he came up to me and said, Hey, do you know the Phillies were going to draft you? And I turned to my son. I said, I told you, I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> my son was a really good ball player. He's on the California state record list for hitting home runs because that hitting coach worked with him. He was 12 years old at the time, but I, I really put a lot of time and effort into baseball was my dream. I mean, to this day, I still love holding a bat. I mean, I can't throw anymore because my arms are all screwed up, but so that's what it, I, I wanted to go and do that. And then, and then because of all the knee surgery, I was going to go into sports medicine. My whole family are doctors. So I wanted to do that. And but then absolutely, absolutely. I missed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that could be a regret. Like it's that in between period of like, I'm sitting in my parents' house. What, what did I do with my life? Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is when you do see people when they come home and still nothing's going on and they say, oh, how was that? Well, I was on this island. I did this movie and oh, that's good. But then when the movie came out, it's like, wow, what was that? Wow, Ooh, cool. Wow, what happened? You know, that kind of a thing. So there was two different talking about the movie, one before it came out, one after it came out, that was really different also. Because that's that, that phase that I went through of what did I do and what do you actually say? How do you explain it? Uh, it's Right. It's like people are patting you on the back. Like, that sounds yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. You, you made a little movie on an island. Like, great for you. And then it comes out and they're like, wait a second. I think I want to call you back today. I right? know that guy. Yeah. Right. We actually went to high school together. Yeah, wait a second. Exactly. Yeah. So then was all that a race for you too? Like, you must have been on a high. Like, you know, listen, some people don't even like that high of fame, you know, like, or was that like, oh, this is great, you know, before you get to the after. And like you say, you never really hit that point in your career again. But like, was that bubble of like worldwide press and interviews and celebrity? Did you love it? Um, I, you know, I, 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 I can't say I really liked it or I hated it so much as I just did what I was told. I just kind of rolled with it. And this was the next thing. And this was, I mean, I look back now and, Oh my God, all the places I've been, the people that I've seen. I mean, I, I, I adjusted George Bush senior's bow tie once and I had the, the freaking FBI come up to me and say, don't touch the president. I know, oh, sorry. Uh, this kind of, a th- I mean, all of the crazy things that 
I've seen and done and all because of that film. I mean, it's I, I can't say I'm not blessed and grateful because of the, the craziness, but I don't know if I loved it or hated it. It just it's life. It just happened. How did you end up adjusting the president at that time's bow tie? Oh, we were at some event. It was one of those celebrity events for raising money. I think it. what was even funnier was Phyllis Diller said to me, you have to auction your loincloth. I said, I, I don't have my loincloth. And she, she said to her assistant, get me some material or whatever. And somebody went out and got a piece of material. Phyllis Diller took it in the hotel room that we were at for this event, rubbed, this is a true story, rubbed it in a plant dirt, said, here, go just rub this on your body in the bathroom and we'll sell it as your loincloth. <laughs> I went, oh my gosh. And, you know, we were there to raise money, but that was Phyllis Diller. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of crazy events. And it ended up selling, I, I, I imagine. I'm sure they sold it. I don't really remember. I just remember doing all of that in that story because it was just so over the top. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Do you do you get starstruck? Like, did you have you ever met someone, you know, because you've met, like you said, everyone you've been in the business forever. Like, did you ever have an experience where you were just totally starstruck when you met someone? Well, I remember that Randall Kleiser, who directed Grease and Blue Lagoon, introduced me to John Travolta. And then um, and and back then, this this is before we even shot the, the movie. And so I was uh, obviously he was. Oh, my gosh. But then I, I got to know him a little a little bit more because he was friends with Olivia. And Olivia was like my son's godmother. We we hung out all the time when she was married to Matt and all this. And we'd go camping together and, and, and everything. So wow. um, I knew he, he he came and smoked cigars every once in a while and stuff. And so that was kind of cool. Wow. Well, like you said, like some people try their whole careers. Everyone comes to LA to make it and never has an experience like this. But talk to me about, you know, listen, I actually watched your reality show. I Not for this interview, the first time around, you know, about, you know, just fame. Like, so talk to me about like afterwards when you were trying to, you know, kind of get the same level of success in movies and you had a whole career. We're going to talk about some of that, but like, what was that like? Like, I mean, fame is such a addictive drug to so many people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> well, after Blue Lagoon, Columbia Pictures put me under contract for four four years. And it was the first time since the old MGM days that uh, a studio had put an actor under contract. And it was a big, big deal back then. Um, and so I sat around doing a, a lot of nothing, waiting, 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 and nothing was happening. And then we figured that it was probably because they wanted to do a Blue Lagoon 2 and they were rewriting and they wanted to save me for that or whatever else. And 20th Century Fox bought me out to do the pirate movie in A Night in Heaven. Um, and then when I was uh, 16, um, I, and so the pirate movie, uh, sorry, let me back up a little bit. So I, I, I did uh, Blue Lagoon and then I did a TV movie uh, with Diane Lane. I was dating at the time and it was called Child Bride of Short Creek. And I'll never forget my manager at the time getting so much grief for that and putting me in the TV series Dallas because uh, back then movie stars didn't do TV. And it was a huge ordeal that I was doing a TV movie and then I was doing Dallas because movie stars didn't do do TV. Now, as you know, they do everything. Um, but that was a big deal. And uh and the Dallas, I was supposed to do two two seasons, but I was going to do a play on Broadway with Gene Lola Brigida, and then the producer died, and so that kind of ended that. 
Um, so I only did one season at Dallas, but that was a, an, another story, crazy fun and the whole deal. But um, I, when I was 16 years old and I was living in Rye, I was teaching sailing to little kids. And one of the mothers of one of the little kids came up to me and uh, she was the one that uh, got me into uh, the modeling with her family. And through that, uh, all of this happened. But from the minuscule paycheck that I got teaching sailing uh, at the club, the American Yacht Club, I uh, would put a dollar away for someday when I had kids. And I don't know why at 16 years old that I just really, really, really wanted kids, but I've always wanted kids. So after uh, the pirate movie and a night in heaven, this was not long after Dallas, or maybe it was just before Dallas, I ended up meeting my wife and we were about to have my son. And so I kind of didn't chase the business as much. I mean, I was on a pretty good role. Um, pirate movie didn't do as well in the box office, but my God, later it became this massive, I could, I still to this day can't believe what a massive cult hit that movie became. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But I kind of ducked out of the business to be a dad. And and that's when a lot of things happened. That's when I, I went through rehab. I Because uh, during this point in time, at this point in time, I was uh, drinking probably more or than I should have. And I wasn't uh, being myself. And I just decided I'd rather be a dad than a drunk. So I did. I went through rehab and went through all that sort of stuff. To this day, I still haven't, um, you know, knock on wood and, and everything. So it's 36 years. And and uh, wow. and that's what I did. So I kind of ducked out. And you have to chase the business. I mean, you have to be out there, uh, you know, having sex with a goat or something. And then and, and then people will, oh, my gosh, did you see what happened? You know, that kind of thing. And I just didn't do any of that. I, I wanted to be a dad. And, 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 man, it goes so fast. Now I'm a grandpa. I mean, that's how quick it goes. So. Yeah, 43 years later, like you said, holy crap. I mean, blink of an eye. What do your what do your kids think of the Blue Lagoon? Like I imagine, have you watched it with them? Do they what do they think of it? Well, I'll tell you a, a very funny story. Hey, hang on one second, mom's sure. Oh. Hey, mom. Yes, I wash behind my ears and I brush my teeth. I get a star for today. Hey, listen, I'm right in the middle of a Zoom interview. Can I call you back? Uh, okay. Hey, wait. I love you. That's <laughs> <Okay>. sweet. <laughs> uh, so what were you saying? Have your kids, oh, like, what kids. do they think? Yeah, I imagine they watched it. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. So my daughter-in-law, my son's wife, said to my son, she said, I think this is really awkward because I think I saw your dad naked before I saw you. <laughs> so I went, Oh yeah, that's, that is kind of, kind of weird, isn't it? So my daughter's more of a, um, a fan. Uh, she, she did a couple of movies in Africa as an actress. My son really didn't want anything to do with it. He was, he was into his sports and stuff too. It sounds like you, you know, you weren't really chasing the business anyway, because you were going through this and now you're sober and you really chose to be a dad. But like, 
did you feel like, oh, you know, like I'm typecast? Like, did you get jealous of Brooke? Like, you know, her she was everywhere afterwards, or I'm just giving, I mean, did you, or is, am I just giving you a backstory that is not true? No, 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 absolutely. I was jealous. Absolutely. I mean, it, I don't know if it was jealous. It was so much as you get the, the, the there were those times where you're at baseball practice or you're at a dance recital with your kids. Cause I got a son and a daughter or whatever. And that's the whole thing. And then there's all of a sudden the business and this is my business. And, and I kept wishing, I guess, or jealous that, uh, I'm not in an A movie again. Do you know what I mean? So, and that's where that chasing it has to come because you have to stay hot. How many times have you seen, seen publicity stars become stars because they're publicity stars? They they really don't do anything. So, yeah, because I could consider myself as an actor. That's what I've done for forty three years. I consider myself that's my business, and this is or this is my business, and this is what I do. And I and I still to this day dream of being in an A movie again. And it goes back to, but I'd be so nervous because, <laughs> you know, I still do movies. I did a movie in Czech Republic with Donnie Most not long ago, and I'm about to go direct one, which is a whole nother story. There's, uh, I'll tell you, there's two, two boxes that, that I still have to tick in this business that uh, are my bucket list for the business. And that is, I want to make my own picture now. I've done everybody else's movie from tiny little thing to major motion pictures and I'm in the business and I want my turn. And so I have some projects that I'm working on now. And then one just came up. And the other thing is I want to direct one. Just those are the two things that I've wanted to do. And all of a sudden now I'm in the middle. I've just signed the directing contract and I've signed a writer's contract. So we're about to start casting and, and get into that, which I'm very, very excited about working on another wonderful picture that I wrote in Australia that, combines two of the biggest sports on the planet baseball and cricket and it's hysterical and so i'd love to get channing tatum to play in that movie because it's just it's a really heartwarming but hysterical movie um anyway and and so yeah it's a lot of fun and and i, I, I listen i've done it i want to carry the ball for a minute so and that's this, that's where i'm at this movie is about baseball and cricket well that's one i'm working on in australia this one's sort of a suspense thriller um, and it's a, it's a whole different, you know, it's kind of got a horror aspect to it, but it's a more of a suspense thriller. So it gets your feet wet kind of thing. And you um, want Channing Tatum for the baseball. Well, the Channing Tatum, oh, I'd love to have him. He would be so great because it's a guy who's kind of a dick who, but he, he's, he's got that wink and a smile. So you still like him and his whole life changes because of this little 10 year old girl in Australia. And he, he gets sent to Australia cause he's suspended to and uh because she's his biggest fan and she's not doing so well and he's at the end of his game he's in his 40 you know 40 something so he's right at the end of his game and and it's all it's all about fear and it's all about uh you know what happens when the lights go off and and anyway but he goes australia and he gets roped into playing cricket which he has no idea so it's a total fish out of water but with the most out there uh, crocodile Dundee-ish Australian characters you've ever seen in your life. And it's just really, really funny. But this little girl teaches him about life, basically. And we'll fun. just put out into the universe to Channing Tatum. Uh, you know, when, come when on, Channing. Out. Yeah, I'd love it.
your team, because I actually am a huge Dallas fan. You, I think it's one of the best TV shows that's ever existed, but that's just oh, me. Cool. Yeah. Your your team didn't want you to do it just because it was TV. Because, I mean, I do remember at the time it was like, oh, wait, Christopher Atkins from, you know, it really wasn't that movie stars did TV. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, he, my manager was the one that we said yes to it. And he was the one that copped a lot of crap for it through the agents and everything else in the, in the industry, the backside of the industry, because it was a, doing a TV series and he was a movie star. He just, he had a, a four-year contract with Columbia Pictures. He, you know, this kind of a thing. You got to keep him a movie star. What was, I mean, even though it was one of the number one TV shows ever, but I, I understand what was that experience like, like working with Linda Gray? I mean, you had most of your scenes with her, Charlene Tilton. I, I I have to tell you that it was probably one of the greatest experiences that I've had in the industry was working with those nutcases. They were the best. They were all like old 60 hippies or something. They were just so, I mean, here's an example. And I've said this before in other interviews, but it's a true story. They're, they were so much fun. So Linda and I had uh, this big first kissing scene she was the first cougar really you know and i mean we were on the cover of us magazine and uh rocky uh, uh, uh robbing the cradle and and all of this kind of stuff so we had our first kissing scene it was out on a dock on this on this pond or whatever this water and everybody's standing around i mean priscilla's there everybody's watching and the and, and some of the crew and everything and that was kind of weird but Okay, I figured, hey, this is the big deal. So we we go and we action and we do the big kissing scene. And then after that, the cut, and she looks at me, she goes, so so how was it? Uh, well, that's kind of a, a weird question. You know, it was, and also, and she had put that protein stuff that they put on your, the dentist gives you to numb it before they give you a shot all over her lips. So she kisses me and now my lips are completely numb and I'm drooling and everybody's just laughing and thinking this is the funniest thing ever. And that's the that's the kind of cast and crew they were. They were just awesome. Well, that's... I walked, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I walked in the very first time into the studio on the lot and I had to do a photo shoot and everything. And I had a stack of clothes for the, the photo shoot for Dallas. And I'm ha holding it like this. And Larry Hagman's walking down the hall and he goes, hey, welcome to the show. Let me take that from. And Larry Hagman carried my clothes and hung them in the closet for me. You know, this wow. is the kind of people they were. It was just great. It was really fun. Is it true? Because I read, I mean, because I know, you know, you were in Speedos for most of your scenes that, you know, you were told, like, don't stuff your Speedo. And were you actually stuffing your Speedo? I, I have no idea what stuffing a Speedo was back then. Are you kidding? I, I had no clue. But we all laughed about it. But that's a true story. It's a true story. And were you stuffing it? Hell no. Are you, come on, man. I have no idea. Are you kidding? You, if you tried to stuff the Speedo, you could see it stuffed. Uh, that's what I would think, yes. And Linda Gray really was the original Cougar, yes. That was a, yeah. a storyline way ahead of its time. Yeah. Were you upset that that didn't last longer? Like you said, like it was supposed to be two seasons. Um, 
you know, I didn't really know the difference. It, it was just moving from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and like I said, I was, uh, having kids at this time and, and I was sort of a little preoccupied with all the, the different things, but, you know, I just sort of went with the flow. I probably could, should have, and I don't like shooting on people, but I probably should have been a little bit more, um, less naive maybe about, okay, well, let's do this. And okay, let's do that. I mean, I had, that, that's why you hire people. That's why you have people like managers to manage your career and things like that. Um, there probably could have been some, some better. I mean, I screwed up, but you probably already know that a uh, uh, footloose, I had footloose and I was off of my head and heading to Palm Springs. And they said, Oh, you got to go meet the director and, and ever the producers. And I said, I can't, I'm wasted. I can't go in there and see them right now. And they're, well, you have to, they need to see you, blah, blah, blah. And I went in toast and that was it. I, I just, screwed that one up so bad and that that was the end of that so i mean uh yeah there was a lot of different decisions but you know it is what it is and you never then get like okay it comes out and kevin bacon are you just like oh man or is it just like this is life let's just get over it i mean no one could blame you for not getting over it for a minute yeah i mean you have to just move on in life i mean that's just the way it is but at, at the and and like people say things were meant for a reason i ended up going through the rehab and i ended up changing my whole life and everything so i mean you have to get knocked down a few times and yeah that was one of the things do i ever want to go back to that do i ever want that to happen i don't have to if i don't put myself there but i'm not going to forget it because if i forget it then it's not going to hurt as much if i do it I will do it. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's why you don't want to ever really forget these things. But um, yeah, of course, I I, I kick myself. I, I absolutely I kick myself because life is so much better and, and happier. And I, I and I'm not that person. I that's the that was that's the the hardest guilt and ugliness is I'm not that person when I was drinking. I'm I'm, I'm not. But because of that, I became that person and I don't want to be that person. That's not, that's not who I am. So there were good things that came out of it, but yeah, of course I look at it and go, Oh man, I could have been Kevin Bacon. You know, that's understandable at times, right? I mean, we could absolutely, we could be playing six degrees of Chris Atkins. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Was there any, I, I did know about Footloose, was there ever another part, like at, a, at any point in your career where like you almost got it also, where we say like, oh, you know, I don't know, like, you know, you could have been in Johnny Depp in Pirates or something like that, like where you were really close to something that we know of? No, you know, I think the business forgets you really quickly because there's always somebody else who comes from behind. There's always uh, some new rising star. You get older, you move into a different age group or a different demographic in films and and if you don't have that stardom i had the stardom but like i said it didn't stay it didn't it didn't continue and part of that was i didn't you have to really throw a lot of money and a lot of time and energy at the machine and i just didn't i just i i decided to sacrifice that more for family than i did for for the the business so yeah i mean there's a little give and take on that because I think part of that is what uh, helped perpetuate the divorce um, after 20 years of marriage uh, because I I wasn't making the money. I wasn't getting the the parts. I wasn't uh, 
Christopher Atkins as that person anymore. And, uh, you know, the, the, sometimes those things uh, happen. But would I trade it? No, I, I, um, I got two great kids. What do you think of the business? Like, where is the business today? Like I mentioned your reality TV show, you know, everyone's on TikTok and Instagram and, you know, look at reality TV. I mean, I, you could argue, I don't even think it's arguable. The Kardashians are probably the most famous family in the entire world, other than maybe the royal family. Like, where do you think this business is today? I have no freaking clue. I have no clue. I got a fire stick and I want to watch the football game. I can't find the football game because everything is an app and then you got to pay for that app. But, but wait a second, this app has these things and, and then who free pin, whatever, all these different is CBS, NBC. No, what happened to free TV? Where, where'd it go? What, what happened to it? So you're like, I just want to turn the TV on and watch one thing, right? I just want to watch. I mean, how many different freaking, and, and, and it's so true. You you have so much. You have no idea. I have no idea what I'm paying for because I I need this right now. Oh, well, they charge you every month. I mean, anyway, it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So I have no idea. And the business is is constantly changing. And I, I think that if everybody really knew what the business was, they'd all be making that movie. You know what I mean? Some aliens are in and ghosts are out or ghosts are in and aliens are are out or westerns are in and westerns are out it's this kind of love stories or, or marvel whatever it, it it's it's a a constant but i think that's where the independent film market is so vital and so important because they're the ones that are taking all the risks and all the the uh uh chances with new content and new movies or or something that hits and then Everybody else follows. Do you see what I mean? So that's why yeah. the, the independent film market is the lifeblood to the industry, really. And we have to keep supporting that for sure. Do you think, I mean, we did have, you know, you mentioned a remake of Lulagoon. We did have that in 1991. We had the Lifetime movie, which you were in. Like, do you think they would ever remake the Lulagoon again? No, but I'd love to write a movie with Brooke and I, if she would ever say yes, that is a love story between the two of us uh, that's a comedy that's kind of a take on everything in a way uh, I, 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 hard to explain, but I would, I would love to bring Brooke and I together one more time, but make it funny. Just make it off the rail. We're older, we have kids, whatever. And it's just off the rails. Yeah. I think it would be very, very funny. And would you be, this has nothing to do with Blue Lagoon, just like a modern day romantic comedy or a, you modern, would... yeah, a modern day romantic comedy that has a lot of Blue Lagoon innu innuendos, probably. Like drop a lot of Blue Lagoon Easter eggs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think people would love to see us do something. You know, they would, I can't tell you every single year I have two to three people at least before it was a lot where, Oh, I want you and Brooke. I want you and Brooke. I want you and Brooke. And can we get you and Brooke back into a movie it, it, it constantly? So I think years later, now that we're older, it would be very funny because that was such an iconic, beautiful love story. If we had one that was, totally opposite but in a funny way that turns out beautiful obviously in the end type of thing i think it would be very funny i think i think people would go oh my god this is 
this is really funny. Well, I mean, I'm going to raise my hand that, that I would like that to happen. So, I mean, I'll just throw that out there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it would be uh, it would be great and kind of take a take a take on ourselves in a way. But at the same time, do a, a romantic because we were good at it. And I think people would love to see it just to see what would happen. Well, you were just on Brooke's podcast. You've stayed in touch with her. Does she know this? Have you told her this? No, she has no idea. Well, maybe when this podcast comes out, she will. And maybe we could set this in motion over here. Wouldn't that be great? I would love it. It's almost like you'd be like <laughs> laughing at like making nods to the Blue Lagoon, almost like you're self-aware of it, but it would be a whole movie. And I think it's a great idea, actually. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, I think there's, I think there's definitely a market for it for sure. I mean, listen, you appeared on Suddenly Susan, like it's, it's about time you guys work together again. Yeah, I did a feature film. I did some. I think it would be fun. What is there? Because you mentioned, like, you know, you still want to do that A list movie. I'm not saying I think you've been in many A list movies, but when you said that, like, is there someone you would just love besides Brooke, like, to act against? Like, who would you love to just be in a movie with? Is there one or two actors or actresses that you would just love to get a part with? Oh, yeah. Well, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt, uh, George, uh, that gang, you know, that, that gang is just a, a really fun, cool gang. I would love to be in uh, a, a picture with those guys doing something fun. What do you think? I mean, the biggest misconception of the business is. The big, well, the biggest misconception of the business is that, uh, that it's easy. I mean, it, the hardest part about the business is they love to put you up there, but then the as soon as that's over, they're on to the next thing. And you get put up there, and then all of a sudden you're looking for everybody. Where did everybody go? And it's the same thing. I This is what I, I can't handle about agents, really. It, and I'm kind of happy with the internet because people get in touch with me on their own, but it, it, they don't want to work for you. you. They think you work for them. And, and that happens constantly. So they don't want to, some agents, they, they package and they can easily put you in a package and get, get you a role and do things like that. But a lot of agents don't want to work at revitalizing. If I go and I do a movie and it's a hit, I'll have every freaking agent coming after me wanting to be my agent. But if I wanted a CAA agent right now, everybody's going to shut the door on me because they don't want to do the work. It's it's just the the reality of it. Now with all those agents out there that are saying, "Yeah, come, give me a call, Let's see what it's like." I would agree with that. Yes, if you did a movie tomorrow and you were opposite George Clooney, your phone would ring by you know hundreds of people. They don't want to do the work. I think no, that's... they don't. They want to. They want to take the easy road, which is the if you're hot, they'll they yeah, it makes them look good. Oh yeah, I want to be your agent. Let's let's. Uh, I can get you in this. I can do this. I can. Well, where were you when when you? I I could, but I did this myself, and that's right. that's the other thing. A lot of things that I will get myself. If I'm in an agency, I'll say, "Look, I'm not paying residuals. That just doesn't make sense to me." Because when 20 years from now I get a, a residual check for 20 cents, and I have to give you 10, 15, whatever it is, 20 percent out of a 25 cent, it's just stupid. No, back in my day, I didn't give residuals. You get from whatever you got me on the picture, and then I, let me live my life. And because I did the work, I'll do the residuals. Fine, done. But if I get the picture, uh, oh, oh, 
and you did nothing and you still want 15% or 20% because I got the picture. No, I'll make the deal myself. <laughs> you know, it's like, I you're preaching to the choir. I say that all the time. Thank also, you. There's a lot of people that are even worse that will just say, Hey, give me your monthly salary and I'll be your agent or, you know, publicist oh. or whatever. And then you're like, I just done 10 times more work than you. And it's like the third day of the month. And like, I'm paying you. Why? Exactly. Exactly. And now with internet, but you hear it all the time with the music industry. You hear these artists who put themselves out there and they become hits and they create their own careers, but you can do that now. So I'm sort of been doing that myself on the side. And that's how I got this project with some, my own footwork. Wow. What was, uh, you know, when we'll wrap up soon, what was VH1's confession of a teen idol like for you? Like, were you happy to be a part of that? I mean, it's a lot of the concepts we talked about here today. I, I love talking about fame and the business. Like, that's one of my favorite things. Like, did you like that experience or when it was all edited and put out, were you like, I'm not sure about how this turned out? I hated it. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it didn't do anything for me. It did. And and the the... I love the guys. Uh, uh, I was talked into it. Um, and for instance, for instance, they said, this will be really good for your career. It'll put you out there again. It'll give you this. It'll give you that. I went in with a, with a, uh, a script in my head on how I was going to do it, start here and end here type of thing. And they were, the producers saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to just do this. No, this is how I'm going to do it. And then, and that was, I was going to avoid a lot of things because I didn't, anyway, there was a, a point where, for instance, that was a, a really great turning point that could have been for me, which I was building up to in my character that I developed for that show, as you, if you want to say it. I mean, it was a reality show, but I was doing something else. Anyway, and that was we had to do that acting lesson and we had to get in front. Now, I had missed a lot because I was at my sister's wedding. I came back and I had told the producers, this is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to get up there and have to do acting because I think it belittles you as an actor. You're a famous actor. But at the same time, um, it depends on how they edit the show and how they're going to make, make you look, right? You're in a reality show. You've signed off on all that. At this point in time, I said, and in my character thing, it was further anyway, that it was time for me to do this. And so I came in cold and they said, uh, you know, cause they knew I didn't want to, whatever the whole thing. Um, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I don't know if you remember, I got up there cold reading in front of the, the casting directors and I did this audition. I got such praise from it that even the director in the booth came and said, man, you did that really well. And, and everybody really liked it on the show. They gave all of those accolades to somebody else. They cut it from mine and gave it to somebody else and completely cut mine out. 
And so I said, well, see, this is why I didn't want to do the show in the first place. You told me, you told me, you told me, here was my opportunity. Here's where I blew everybody away. I cold readed something right off the bat and everybody made it. It could have made a big difference for me. Why I did it. I took, because I, I knew I could do this. And then you don't even put it on. You don't, and you give it to this person over here because this person is freaking crazy and needs it. Uh, I said, they have like the director saying that was brilliant and all this and made it seem like it was to someone else. Yeah. They, well, they put, they, they put all the accolades that from the casting directors and everybody onto yeah. Jeremy instead. So it was, it was just stupid. It was just dumb. Yeah. No, I didn't like it at all. Good old reality TV, right? I love Scott Bayo. He's a great, great friend of mine, but I, the show itself was, didn't work out now. As we wrap up, like, what is advice? This was my last question. And then you could, whatever else you want to mention before we go, what, what advice would you give your younger self, 1980, first film, just starting out, looking back at your storied career and everything you've been through in the business and as a father and in life, like, what advice would you give your younger self? Good question. Good question. Uh... I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm literally one of those people who it's just one day at a time and, and roll with life. Don't take it so seriously. Cause sometimes you, uh, uh, in the old days, you, I would take it, uh, the drinking days and everything. Uh, I guess the big problem was, is you don't understand. That was my big saying. You don't understand. Poor me. You don't understand. And and the problem was, is I didn't understand. And I think that uh, people, we all have to go through our, our growths. I mean, if we didn't go through our growths, how could we learn to be the people that we can evolve into? But I think that's the big key is oh, remaining teachable. Just remaining teachable, just be able to grow into something that I never knew I could become as a father, as a brother, as a, a son, this kind of a thing. So I don't know. I, I mean, if I could say anything to anybody today, it would just be remain teachable. Don't don't because sometimes what happens is I would hit a wall and that was the end. It was done. It was I can't believe it. Blah, blah, blah. But the problem is you never know tomorrow and that phone's going to ring. I don't have a crystal ball. It's broken. It's in the shop, you know? And so I don't know, but it, the wall hits, but if I remain teachable and I remain open, I can say, okay, I hit the wall. What, what can I do to go over this wall or under this wall or around this wall instead of that's it. It's, it's never going to happen. It's, it's over. And that's where I, I, I always don't like people who say, well, you failed. Well, no, I, I tried. It didn't work out the way that I wanted to. Sure. And if you want to call it failure, but I think failure is for the people who never try. That is such good advice. See, and you didn't think you had any advice. That's really good advice. It's true. Well, and well it, it is true. It is true. Don't take things so seriously. You can't wake up tomorrow. It just doesn't make sense. It's so it's true. true. Well, listen, you'll have to come back on when all these projects come to fruition. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Anything. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you and taking a trip down memory lane. And you have a lot going on now. Thank and you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for having me. It was great. I appreciate and, it. Anytime. Nice talking to you. You too, man. You take care. And thanks again.
Take care. Bye. Happy New Year. <laughs> Go call your mom. I will. I got to do that. <laughs> Take care. All right. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.